Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapter 18. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. So far, if you have been with us, then you know that the children of Israel have been set free from Egypt. And they are on their way, as we talked about last week, to their destiny. Their destiny. What's their destiny? The promised land. They're headed to the promised land. And on their way, listen close, on their way to the promised land, God ordained that they should stop at certain campsites or stop at certain spots. And at each one of those campsites, we talked about this last week, they needed to learn some important lessons. Last week we talked about the campsite. Now tonight I want to point out to you not only the campsite, but also the lesson that they were to learn at the campsite. So if you are taking notes, you can begin to write some things down right here. Who knows, and just kind of call out if you will, who knows what the first campsite was? Anybody? Nope. See, that's why nobody wants to call out in church. There, who said that? Sir, you were looking in your Bible, weren't you? <laughs> I didn't say, got your notes, there you go, smart man. Smart man, ex-Marine, I think, too. Maybe. Go Marine. And he's right. It was Sukkoth. Remember that? And Sukkoth means what? Tent town. Tent city. Very good. That's the first campsite. Now listen. The lesson that they were to learn at Sukkoth was this. That this world is not our home. We are strangers passing through tent town. Okay? First campsite. The second campsite was Etham. If you got your notes, you know that. Etham. And Etham means with them. With them. It was at the edge of the wilderness. We talked about that. And the lesson learned, the lesson they needed to learn, was that God will be with them as they are on their journey. Remember, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Very good. God is with them. Etham. The third campsite We talked about they find themselves, Israel finds themselves in a pickle. They find themselves between a rock and a hard place as God led them. And that is very important to understand that God led them between two mountains. Remember, Mount Pihirath and Mount Migdal. And the Red Sea was in front of them. And the Egyptian army was in back of them and in hot pursuit of them. And the lesson learned there between the rock and the hard place is that God is more powerful than any army. 
more than 10 people need to say amen. Because that's true. God is more powerful than any army. And sometimes, God will allow you to find yourself in a pickle. A rock in a hard place. Just so you can also learn that God is more powerful than your situation. That's, that's what they needed to learn. That's what we need to learn. So campsite number four. Who knows what campsite number four was? Nelson, you know. Mara, there you go. That's right. Mara, Mara, however you want to pronounce it, depending on where you're from. And Mara means what? Bitter. Exactly. Bitter. The lesson learned is, should be, life is full of bitterness and difficulties. But God will turn bitter waters to sweet. And how does he do that? By throwing in the stick, throwing in the tree. And remember we talked about the stick or the tree represents what? The cross. So when you throw in the cross into your life's bitter situation, God somehow makes it sweet. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. That's very true. So Mara means bitter. That's the campsite number four. Campsite number five, if you're still trekking with me, campsite number five, Elam, which means mighty one. And the lesson is God is almighty and able to give you times of refreshment after the bitter experience. Elam, mighty one. Remember there's palm trees and we called it like, you know, Hawaii and Palm Springs. And, and it was just a very resort luxurious kind of place to be for them. So after that bitter experience at Mara, they had a time of rest. They had a time of refreshment. Campsite number six, if you're still with me, they came to the wilderness of sin. And it was in the wilderness of sin that God provided them manna. Remember that? And the word manna means, what is it? Exactly. Why? Because every day that they went outside on the ground, they looked at these little tiny seeds and they said, what is it? It was manna. That's what manna means. And manna was a sweet little coriander seed. And the lesson that God was teaching them, this is a real simple one, Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. God provides in every situation, everything you need, and God provides even in the wilderness. And then last week we talked about campsite number seven, Rephidim. Remember that. And Rephidim means rest stop, rest stop. And remember the rock that was smitten with the rod of God in the hand of Moses and, and Moses was to strike the rock and the water was to come forth. We talked about that last week and the lesson learned. We talked about Jesus is a picture of that rock. And, and, and Jesus was smitten, the Bible says. And, and the blood came flowing from him and water came flowing from him. And that blood and that water mixture brought forth salvation and it brought forth refreshment and it brought forth renewal and it brought forth strength because of what Jesus did on the cross. He represents that rock. We talked about that. If you missed that teaching, you can pick that up. Tonight, listen, we come to campsite number eight. Mount Sinai is where we are. And it's there at Mount Sinai that uh, Moses, you know the story. Was that Charlton Heston? Is that Charlton Heston up 
Get, getting the law and the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's how we learned our theology about this story. It's from Charlton Heston. And uh, all, all that happened at, uh, at Mount Sinai. That's where we are. Now, let me tell you something about chapter 18 really, really quickly. Chapter 18 has two main themes. One, two, count them. Two main themes. Number one, the reunion of Moses and his family. And secondly, the establishing of a team of ministry people. The reunion of Moses' family and the establishing of a ministry team. Two main themes in chapter 8. That's what we're going to talk about. 18, pardon me. That's what we're going to talk about tonight in Exodus chapter 18. With that said, we pick up in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. And Jethro, not Bodine. Some of y'all don't know who Jethro Bodine is, do you? You know, I think I'm just going to start over and we're going to pray, all right? But y'all are an interactive bunch tonight, aren't you? Jethro Bodine is from the Beverly Hillbillies. What's wrong with you people? And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. That's what he heard. And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. I'll tell you more in a minute. Sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom. His name means exile. For he said, I have one, I have been a stranger, pardon me, in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eleazar. For he said, Eleazar means God is my help. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife, her name is Zipporah, to Moses in the wilderness. And when he encamped at the mountain of God, now that would be Mount Sinai. And he said to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons and, and her two sons with her. Stop right there. Give me your attention. You know, or do you, that Jethro is the priest of Midian, according to verse 1. The priest of Midian. And the Midianites, listen, were the descendants of Abraham by his second wife. How do you know that, Rodney? In Genesis chapter 25, look it up in your own time. Genesis 25, verse 2, it tells us that. And it also tells us her name is Keturah. K-E-T-U-R-A-H. Keturah. That's Moses, uh, Abraham's second wife. And he married her after Sarah had died. And so Jethro is the priest of the Midianites and the father-in-law of Moses. Now remember last week we talked about this. The Amalekites have been defeated. We talked about that in verses 18 through 16 of chapter 17. The Amalekites have been defeated by Israel, and I'm sure that that was big news at that time. So Jethro hears of all that God did for Israel in defeating the Amalekites and all that God did in bringing them out of Egypt. And so Jethro took his daughter, her name, as I told you, is Sipporah, and Moses' wife. 
And he took their two children, or their two boys, Gershom and Eleazar, to the place that Moses was camped, at this campsite number eight. And that is Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, if you've been with us, listen close, in our study previously in Exodus chapter four, Moses' first son was circumcised. Do you remember this story? Moses' first son was circumcised, and his second son wasn't. And Zipporah, being a Midianite, a Gentile, she was not concerned with all the rules and the regulations and the rituals of the Jewish people. She wasn't concerned with those things. She wasn't concerned with the fact that this second son had not been circumcised. God was. God was upset with Moses because he didn't circumcise his second son. This obviously from chapter 4 caused a problem in the home. They probably had much discussion over it. Well, finally, remember the story? Mrs. Moses took a knife and she circumcised Eliezer, her son. It's very possible that Eliezer was a grown man when that happened. Can we say, ouch? <laughs> Sorry. So she circumcised. Sorry. I had a long day. I, I had a long day. And so she circumcises her son and she took the foreskin. In chapter 4, you read it for yourself. She took that foreskin and she threw it down at the feet of Moses and she said, You are, you know, a bloody husband, she said. And, and, and God was upset, don't you remember? God was upset with Moses because God was sending him to rescue Israel out of Egypt and to become the leader of the whole nation, but Moses couldn't lead his own home. And so God was going to judge him. And it was at that point that Moses sent Zipporah and the kids back to her dad, Jethro, because of circumcision, because of the circumcision of this second son. And so he sent her back. Now, circumcision in the Jewish mind, you got to understand something, represents or it speaks of total commitment. It speaks of total commitment. So Zipporah, now stay with me, watch this. Zipporah was fighting against circumcision, which was an indication that she wasn't totally committed. And so Moses says, honey... The ministry that God has called us to requires total commitment, and you're not ready for that. Go home to your dad. And you stay there with your dad while I go into the ministry. Now, I want to say something here, and I want you to listen to me closely. This situation where God calls a man to go into ministry and leave his wife, his family behind is rare. You will not find this again. You don't see it throughout history. God does not normally. Now God is God. Amen. And God is sovereign. That means that's a theological word to just say that God does whatever he chooses, when he chooses, how he chooses cuz he's God. That's sovereignty. So in God's sovereignty, God can do whatever he chooses to do, but we have to be careful not to set a precedence of this is the way God does things if God does something one time. You understand what I'm saying? So we talked about this on Sunday, how do you establish doctrine? We talked about that. Get the CD, I don't have time tonight. 
So God sends Moses into the ministry. Moses sends Zipporah home to be with her dad. And so Moses here we see, pardon me, as Moses is sent into the ministry, Zipporah goes home. Moses goes on to be used by God to deliver the people. Let me give you just a couple, and I want you all to listen, although my next comments are particular to ministry people, ministry leaders, whatever capacity, home fellowship, all the way up to the senior pastor. My next comments are related to that, but you can all learn something and get something from this. I have learned, listen close, that when God calls a man to ministry, he calls a whole family. I've learned that when God calls a man to ministry, he calls his wife, his kids, the dog, the cat, the fish, everybody comes along in ministry. Because ministry is not a nine to five job. Ministry is 24 seven. It's not nine to five, it's 24 seven. And I believe that when God is calling a man, watch this, he is calling his wife together. You know, when God was showing Elvira and I, um, me particularly at first, that we were to come to Raleigh, that we were going east, and that we were going to plant a church, you know my story. We were going, we were going to plant a church, and, 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 and God was going to do a work through us in this area. When God began to show me that, God began to reveal those things to me through vision and dreams. And it was like unbelievable. It was almost like a movie every night. It was weird. I was looking forward to going to sleep so I can catch back up on where I left off last night. It was weird, man. And so, you know, I'm like go, trying to go sleep. Where was I in the movie? You know, you want to get that, that last scene. And, and God was really showing me and just through vision and dreams. And I'm waking up and I'm telling Elvira, hey, guess what God showed me last night? And she's like, what now? And, 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 and she was like, you know, and God hadn't really revealed that to her yet. So she said, well, she later we, we find out, we talk, and you guys have maybe heard her say this, that she needed to begin to pray to seek the Lord to see if, in fact, God was really speaking those things and wanting to, to use us in this way because he hadn't at that point. And so, and, and she said, you know, she'll, she'll tell you. She said, she, you know, she knows how impetuous I am. And, and, you know, and I'll just do something because I just feel like this is God. You know what I mean? And you never know. But something like this is a big thing. I mean, leaving California to here and, yeah, that's a big thing. So, and she thought maybe this was one, another one of my ideas. <laughs> that was, it sounded like a lot of ladies laughing on that one, didn't it? Another one of my ideas. And so she began to pray, and as she began to pray, get this, God began to confirm in her that this is what he wanted for our lives. And check this out. Not only that, but one night, I went to sleep, she went to sleep, obviously. And, and we woke up, and she said, let me tell you what God showed me. And I said, let me tell you first what God showed me. The same night. Remember that? She's like, yes. Yes. 
And it was, a, I mean, it was weird. I mean, God was beginning to do those things, but God began to confirm then in her what God wanted to do with us both. Because it would have been no way possible for me to tell her, God is calling me into ministry, and she's saying, well, I'm not really seeing that. God knows that. Listen, God is not going to tear up your marriage to call you in the ministry. I'm going to say that again because y'all will sleep. God is not going to tear up your marriage to call you in the ministry. Amen. And it's true. And as a pastor, I have known men who thought they were called to full-time ministry. And they've come to me and said, you know, God's calling me to full-time ministry. My first question to them, as I've learned now over these years of being senior pastor of this church, I have learned my first question to them is not how well do you teach? How are you anointed? No, that's not my first question. Now my first question is, what does your wife say? Well, don't ask her. Aha. Uh -huh. What does your wife think? Because sometimes a wife doesn't feel that same calling, which, listen to me close, doesn't mean that you are not called. It just means the timing isn't right. That's all. It doesn't mean you're not called. Don't give up on the call. Because if you know that you know that you know that you know that God is calling you, then you wait on God because he will reveal it to her. If, in fact, it is God calling you. You know, I've also seen in the ministry great godly men who were held back from being used by the Lord because their wives were not ready for the sacrifice. And they, they just weren't ready for it. I mean, they knew. I've seen they, women who knew their husbands were called, and, and they had that confirmation in the spirit. But they didn't want to give up the Beamer, the big house, the Nordstrom's, all of these things. They didn't want to give that up. They weren't ready for the sacrifice because in the ministry, contrary to popular opinion, in the ministry, there is much sacrificing. And you got to know that. And she wasn't willing, so she held him back. I've also seen wives who have held their husbands back because the wife wasn't spiritually mature enough in her own walk with the Lord, and she needed to grow. But either way, in either of those cases, you just simply need to wait and be patient. Because when it comes to being called into ministry, I believe the calling, the timing, the confirmation will be in your spouse. I think that's true. And not only that, but watch this. I, not only will the calling, the timing, the confirmation be in your spouse, but when God's really doing the work, it's your spouse who is then even pushing you forward. Because she knows God has revealed it to her. And women generally are a little bit more, as hard as it is for me to say this, <laughs> spiritually in tune than us fellas. Amen. Shake it off, man. Shake it off. Shake it off. It's the truth. I mean, it really is the truth. And, and, and I do remember times even before, you know, uh, you know, today was a walk down memory lane for me. But, but to, I remember times and even before 
I actually got visions and dreams from God that God <laughs> called me that Elvira and my mom would say, you know what, Rodney, you're you, you running from the call of God. It's interesting. They knew I was called before I knew I was called. I remember saying things like this. They'd say, oh, well, you, you know what? You're running from the call of God. God's got, a, God's got a call in your life, and you're running from the call of God. And I remember saying stuff like this. Yeah, well, when Jesus shows up at the foot of my bed in a bright light, and, and he grabs me by the toes and says, Rodney, you are called, then I'll go. I remember saying stuff like that. And, and that never happened. I mean, other stuff happened. But, but that didn't happen. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, your wife and, and women, they know things in the spirit oftentimes that, that, that we don't know. And ladies, look, let me just kind of plug this. It's the Lord who calls them. Be careful. Watch out. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.